Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa. This is a follow-up show for our Bandcamp listeners, a continuation of the story of the Oak Canada Pavilion. But before we begin that, we need to do a couple of things. The first thing is to bring in one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Not bad, Len. Yourself? I am doing well, thanks. All right, so let's move on to some Disney news. Jim, before we, uh, we talk about Oak Canada, there was news of some height test balloons being flown about three or four stories tall at Disney's Caribbean Beach Resort. What a what could this be, Jim? To to understand this, you've got to understand that the DVC as we know it, particularly for Disney World, is kind of hitting a ceiling. We've had the villas that were built next to the Grand Floridian. We had the poly, which put the bungalows out there. Now, mind you, you and I both know that there was a plan to build a set of towers that were going to bookend that they, resort. It's still part of the plan. I was flat out told that was one of the reasons they did, redid the lobby the way they did, yeah. you know, with the notion of pulling out the giant fountains and the decorative rocks and that sort of thing, with the notion of if we're going to have a couple of thousand more people a day coming through here because we have the two these two DVC towers, right. we need a bigger lobby. So let's just do this now during this rehab. Yeah, and, if, and I've heard that the towers are definitely uh, still in the mix. Okay. What they're finding is that the properties that people want to go into are those seven sea lagoon monorail hotels are as close yeah. to as possible. In fact, supposedly that's one of the reasons why. I mean, you and I have both seen the plans of Fort Wilderness DVC that was supposed to be built on top of the site of the of river country. And that supposedly got pulled because they surveyed DVC members and they weren't all that enthusiastic about it. Oh, really? Was that it? Yeah. Yeah, just it was one of these things where it's like, eh, you know, but but interestingly enough, a DVC that would allow people to look into Epcot and be able to see illuminations at night, that yeah. appealed to them. And this is what this is going on here. There's evidently one expansion pad at the Caribbean beach that was left for future use. And then of course they wound up building that giant laundry facility that uh, the Caribbean beach and pop century share. And by extension, art of animation, this test really is them now circling back on this, the notion of, okay, we're going to put a a DVC here. That's going to have a, a lounge area, much the same way that, that Bay Lake tower does. And people can go up and enjoy illuminations, you know, looking into the park at the end of their day without actually being in in Epcot. Uh, So where they were flying the height balloons is south of the Barbados area within Mm. the uh, within the park. And that is where I believe there's a uh, there's a huge gap of land. It's north of Sea Beach Breeze Drive and east of Victory Way. It's still within the um, the bus loop. Mm hmm. They still have access to all of the facilities. I don't know that you could see the, if I guess if it's four stories tall, you would be able to see illuminations because if you look north, northwest, you look right past the American Adventure Pavilion. Like your sightline would be wherever you're standing, American Adventure Pavilion, you know, maybe the Italy Pavilion. And then you have a direct view into the middle of World Showcase Lagoon. So you, you could do it mm-hmm. if they did like a fourth floor viewing area. Well, my understanding is the building will be four to five stories tall. Yep. In fact, to be honest, that, as I understand it, was the, the point of the, the height balloons. You know, there was people standing inside of Epcot. Does this actually work? There's been this history of people complaining about, you know, visual intrusion in Epcot. You know, the, you oh, know, this the, one on the dolphin. There we go. My understanding is in much the same way that, that Bay Lake Towers has 
that uh, the lounge at the top, top of the world, I guess, there would be an area set up. In fact, that's if you look at the balloons, there's, there's a couple of different heights to them. And evidently, I, I want to say the blue balloon designates the building height, and there's another colored balloon that designates the height of the lounge area. Ah, uh, like orange or red. Yeah. 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 Of course, the, the issue with height balloons always is then the folks who are doing the observing and then go back and tell them to adjust the plan, you know, to the whole notion of it's like, wow, that's too tall. I mean, and Disney does take this stuff very seriously. I remember, for example, when they were build, or initially building Disney's California Adventure and they did height balloon tests just for the tops of that faux Golden Gate Bridge that you walked under when you went into the original version of the park. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so you couldn't, you wouldn't see it from like Main Street or something? No, that's it exactly. The whole oh, notion sorry. was that if you stood at the castle and looked back, would you see the tops of the Golden Gate Bridge? And it was mm-hmm. like they actually adjusted the height down just for that same reason. So I, I apologize, Jim. I had said that the area was uh, was east of Seapreeze in Victoria. Mm-hmm. It's actually at the, the very north part of the property. Okay. And that means that you actually have a, a less obstructed view mm-hmm. into World Showcase Lagoon because you're at that area between Germany and China. Um, it would essentially be your vantage point. And I would be surprised if they did not provide a walkway, though, from Caribbean Beach, from that DVC, over to the back of Epcot. And the reason is, is once you're at sort of that area around Cayman Way, mm-hmm. it's 750 feet. Mm-hmm. To the back of Epcot, you know, I mean, a DVC within walking distance of Epcot. Think mm-hmm. about that for food and wine. You're closer to Caribbean Beach than you would be to the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Epcot, this is our follow-up to our O Canada show, which would we were talking about the Circle Vision 360 show that had been developed for World Showcase in 1982. It turns out this was so successful. They actually kept it open. And mind you, they changed the name. I mean, you know, remember how oh, Expo 67 was, you know, the theme of it was Man in His World? Yep. Starting in 1968, that then became the name of the exposition. I think, you know, it, it was Philippe Drapeau, who was the uh, the mayor of Montreal at that time. I mean, he just, he couldn't bring himself to, to tear down the buildings. They leave it open. And But then you get into this, this weird musical chairs situation. Over the 13-year run, I mean, these buildings are left in place. And so a lot of the folks just cleared out after year one. But they got like 50 million visitors. They did. They in did. one year, yeah. Yeah, but the state of Vermont. So they build a pavilion for Expo 67. When Man in His World opens in 1968, that building then becomes the Poland Pavilion. Then in 69, 70... It then becomes home of what they call a Canadia display, which I'm assuming is the Canadian version of like Disneyana, you know, just sort of weird trivia, that sort of thing. At 71, the Vermont Pavilion now becomes where the man in the, his world press office is located. 72, Poland reoccupies. <laughs> is, is that exactly the phrasing you want to use there, Jim? Well, <laughs> and then in, in 73, sure. Mexico moves in and, and search your own, own wall joke here. Then from 70, 1974 till when Man and His World closes in 1980, the old Vermont Pavilion becomes this display for Haiti. And all I can think of is I so want to see 
there's got to be an employee rec room in the back. You know, it's like, I would love to see what was in the fridge the last day. You know, <laughs> get some rum spiced maple syrup with kielbasa. There we go. <laughs> Anyway, I, I, getting back to our earlier show, so why Walt would have handed this off to an outsider? You have to take into consideration what, what might have been going on at Disney, Walt Disney Productions, in 1966. Because face it, with most of Canada 67 would have had to have been shot in 1966, so the Circle Vision 360 presentation could be edited and scored yeah. in time to open at Expo 67 in April of the following year. But So what was going on at Walt Disney Productions was in September of 66, most of Disneyland's Tomorrowland closed, so this part of the park could then undergo a nine-month-long, $22 million makeover. All right, so these guys are booked. Yeah, and Walt's looking to get things like Kaiser's Hall, Aluminum Hall of Fame or Crane's Bathroom of the Future cleared out and create what he described, what he wanted is the world on the move. Given that you and I both have been to, to Flushing Meadow, that's the other thing. Walt had come back after that opened in uh, April of 64 and just came back and told the Imagineers, look, we have to do something about Tomorrowland. I mean, it just compared to what's in Flushing Meadow right now, this is a frontier land too. <laughs> also, you know, to be honest, Walt was was a huge transportation fiend. I mean, and, you know, not really surprising to hear that given the miniature steam train that he had it roll through the backyard of his home at Homeby Hills. He was going to have his grandkids come to the house. And so he wanted to build a second steam train that would circle the Smoke Tree Ranch House. And the Homeowners Association yeah, is... Yeah, this is not the HOA for that. Yeah. <laughs> I love Walt's workaround for this, though, that because, well, they won't let me do the miniature train. So what he does is he builds a sidewalk that circles the entire house, this big, wide sidewalk. And then he gives all of his grandchildren pedal cars. And so they didn't get their train, but they could pedal around this, this driveway that circled the house. You know, and I think for me, this, this tells you a lot about Walt Disney and, and why he built Disneyland the way he did. That's why with this new version of Tomorrowland, with this world on the move, I mean, he wanted you to stand in the middle of Tomorrowland and look out and see the monorails zooming over the lagoon where the, the submarine voyage was with the Autopia in the background of that. And never mind the skyways going overhead and the rocket the jets are spinning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just this celebration of modern transportation. And back to the Circa Rama Theater now. So American Motors sponsors the Tour of the West show. However, by uh, June of 1960, the Bell System has come in, and they're the new sponsors of the Circa Rama Show, and they get a brand new film made. They get America the Beautiful. So now it's time to do the new Tomorrowland for opening in July of 67 at Disneyland, and that means, well, we're going to switch this theater to over from 11 projectors to 9. That means we have to shoot a brand new version of America the Beautiful. Oh, okay. Understanding that, now Walt's decision to reach out to Robert Barkley and have him do the Canada film. Because everyone's booked. That's it, exactly. I mean, the A-team is out running around the country. But Barkley, he doesn't mind being the B-team. You know, he, he gets his team of four guys. And they spend 10 months traveling all over Canada. That sounds like fun, I gotta say. It just sounds, sounds like it's a hoot. So I haven't seen the, the Brussels film, but you know how in Epcot today, mm -hmm. there's a, a sort of a pattern or a rhythm to how the movies in World Showcase go. It's, you know, they, they typically introduce a narrator. You know that the various components of the film are going to include 
Here's something about a hist our history. Here's something about our architecture. Here's something about our natural wonders. Here's a bunch about our people. You know, and in the end, it's all like reflections of impressions day, whatever country you're in, right? It's it's sort of formulaic. When did Disney hit upon that formula for its country films? Was it it's America the Beautiful? So did, it, did it evolve? Funny you say this because that's actually the thing that drives Canadians crazy about O Canada. <laughs> Their argument is that basically what Disney did was Canada 67 was so successful. I mean, you have to say it was one of the hits of Expo 67. They had a beautiful pavilion. Oh, no, no, it was wonderful. And in fact, you know, it, it kind of speaks volumes. It was 1970 that... The United States actually moved into the pavilion. <laughs> well, you know, whatever. Don't take what? this the wrong way, Canada, but we're moving in. This is 1970. So what do they have on display? They have moon rocks that Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong have brought back. So that was right. the big draw. Yeah. But because they had this space, what did they do? They turned to Disney for one year in the, key, the old Canada pavilion in the Circle Vision 360 film. They show America the Beautiful. Did they really? Yep. For the other 13 years... Between Expo 67 and then starting in 68, you had Man in His World. And so two more years of Canada 67 being shown. You have the one year off where America the Beautiful is in there. And then from 71 through 80, you have Canada 67 being shown. I have a math exercise for you here that I think you'll enjoy, particularly when we get to our conclusion here. The Canada 67 could show the movie every 22 minutes, a 22-minute long film. So you can get in two shows an hour, each show 1,500 people crammed into that theater. They scheduled it to be shown 24 times a day. All right, so wow. 1,500 times 2,400, that's 36,000 people a day that, bad. that could see the show. Expo 67 is open for 184 days. But again, let's keep this neat. So let's say it was only open for 180 days times 36,000 people a day. That meant over the course of Expo 67, 6,480,000 people could see this thing. It's not bad. It's one out of eight people who visited the fair. That's good. Okay. If we have Man in His World stays open for an initial 13 years. And if we pull out that one year that America the Beautiful is being shown because now it's the American Pavilion. Mm -hmm. So that's 12 more years of Canada 67 being shown. And again, mm -hmm. same rule, 24 shows a day. It's like everybody in Canada seeing it three times. <laughs> that's it. He's at, that's the point I'm trying to make. All right. It's like 20 million people in Canada. It's everybody has to see it six or seven times. No, and that's, that's exactly, you've hit it. That's the problem. All right. So when they, they went to Epcot, and it's like, like every every field trip goes, hey, fourth graders, let's go see the film. Hey, sixth graders, let's go see the film. By the time you get to eighth grade, you're like, dude, I can say the film. I don't need to see the film. <laughs> don't get me wrong. It was beautiful. Everybody loved it. They were incredibly proud of, yeah. of this film. But, film. No doubt. but this is the description, Len, of the 67 version of the film. In fact, you know, because of your enthusiasm about us doing some, uh, some future shows about Expo 67, I actually went on eBay and got a copy of the official guidebook. Did you really? Yes. Don't make the mistake of paying top dollar for that. I got this for $1.50. Okay. It costs more to mail the thing. <laughs> yeah. 
But this is the description of the 67 show from the guidebook. It it talks about the thrilling new Walt Disney film presentation, which puts you in the middle of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police's musical ride. It puts you on center ice during a Toronto Maple Leafs game. It it puts you right on the track with the Calgary Stampede. It's what you swooshing through the snow during Quebec's Winter Carnival, not to mention flying over the Niagara Falls. Understanding that this was sponsored by the Telephone Association of Canada, does any of this ring a bell system for you? It's a beautiful film. It is a beautiful film. But again, it's just so much of it, just when Disney was looking to create a pavilion for Canada for 1982, the thinking was that that worked so well. Why should we reinvent the wheel? Yeah. Think about where it was in the Canadian Pavilion and the theme of the Canadian Pavilion because it was sort Mm -hmm. of rustic with the log thing. Sorry, the back end of it was that. But with a 360-degree film in it, it's, it's pretty much let's just take that concept and use it in Epcot. I am totally convinced that the way Walt sold the Telephone Association of Canada on doing this presentation is that he brought folks down to Anaheim and showed them America the Beautiful because the weird thing is the both pavilions had the exact same post-show activities. If you went up to, if you finished watching Canada 67, you could walk out into the post-show area and here they, they refer to it as the Enchanted Forest, but basically you could sit down if you were a kid and there was a touchstone phone in front of you with a face of a Disney character and you could hammer on that phone and it would, the phone ring and at the end of the phone was Mickey or Pinocchio or Snow White and there was this pre-recorded conversation that you could have with this Disney character and that had been in the post-show of America the Beautiful under the bell system. So they also had call waiting. They were demonstrating mm. call waiting in video <laughs> phones as well. No, no, no. In 67, Jim, this was a thing. Call waiting was like a, a major thing. There's, and the video phones, which, of course, now mm. we have Skype but, or FaceTime. Yeah, those were the two things that they were, that they were demonstrating there. Both of those things, not call waiting, but video phones also became part of Epcot. Mm-hmm. Definitely overlap between what was done at Expo 67 and what happened at Epcot. I mean, we, we've already talked about, for example, the, the, the gentleman who had created the Magic Laterna show, which then in turn, he was asked to, to create the pre-show for Universal Energy. This was not a one-way street. Walt was supposedly consulted by the folks who were creating La Ronde, the 135-acre entertainment district. Uh, for Expo 67. And they insist, uh, talking about your time, when they were prepping for this, the Laurent team went to every major amusement park in the world. They talked about how what they were trying to do with Laurent is create, uh, blend the tasteful imagination of Copenhagen's Tivoli Gardens with the color and the excitement of California's Disneyland. I think I also mentioned there was a December 18th, 1966 story in the Winona Daily that these folks really talked up the fact that Walt was a consultant for this, that, you know, when they were laying out this entertainment area, that Walt was on board. I have to assume that they came to California and, you know, they, they obviously visited Disneyland and they must have visited Walt at the lot and they must have got Walt being Walt. Well, look, come on, let's go over to Glendale and I'll show you what we're working on at WED. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring this up is that a lot of the work that was being done for Disney during this period 
was being built by a company called Arrow Development. They were based in Mountain View, California. In fact, they created a lot of the opening day Disneyland attractions. They created the ride vehicles, for example, for Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. And Walt was so thrilled with the work there. He had him working on Mad Tea Party, King Arthur's Carousel, Casey Jr. Train, Snow White's Scary Adventure. And he kept throwing them work as got into the late 50s. In fact, they're the guys who built the first ride system for the Matterhorn. Really? And Walt was so thrilled with their work. And in fact, he wanted to make sure that they stayed healthy. He bought a third of the company in 59 with his own money. Wow. He's funding this. He's keeping this alive. And and so Walt wants to do another coaster for the parks. And he wants to expand Tomorrowland. Come 64, he was going to come back from the New York World's Fair and, and mm-hmm. really get serious about this. But prior to that... They'd already begun working on what eventually became known as Space Mountain, though back in that time it was called Spaceport or Space Voyage. Now, I, I want to refresh everybody's memory here that Space Mountain is housed inside of a giant cone-shaped building. It's 100, 180 feet tall, wow. but it, it wouldn't open until January of 1975. Opening day of La Ronde for Expo 67, there's a ride called the Gyrotron. It's a $3 million thrill ride that press materials for Expo 67 describe as being unlike any thrill ride ever. Gyrotron, standing nearly 20 stories tall, will take its hardy riders on a journey through space where they see planets, orbiting bodies, and space stations. Really? And it gets better. Gyrotron is housed inside, and again, this is from the press materials, a giant pyramid where conditions of outer space are simulated by sight and sound with the illusion of an actual space voyage is created and maintained. It sounds like mission space. If he took him there, in fact, I've got a photograph of the early, early version of Space Mountain when Arrow built it in 64. And okay. it's, it's basically four roller coasters inside of this cone-shaped mountain. I cannot imagine that they didn't see that, you know, the people who are doing La Ronde and walk back and it's like, well, that looked really intriguing. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I have to ask somebody who listens to the show has to have done both rides. Somebody has to have gone to Expo 67 and, and ridden the Gyrotron. And so I'm, I'm asking our listeners if... Yeah, get in touch. Please, I'd love to hear some stories about this. Yeah, if you were a kid in 67, yeah, you'd be about our age. Mm-hmm. Circling back on what you were saying about every Canadian having seen Oh Canada three times. Three times. That seriously was, was the issue, that, that by the time this attraction opened, in fact, it wasn't open six months when the letters of complaint began. You know, the effect of you guys fell back on... The cliches. That's not the real Canada. Really? So this was in in 82 when it opened? They got letters of complaint as early as January, February of 1983. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, literally like four months after it opened. But we'll get into... You will get into that, plus the, the, the change out of the film, you know, bringing in Martin Short, and more to the point, shortening the film by four minutes with the next installment of this series. Oh, fantastic. All right, Jim, something to look forward to. You've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. We are produced fabulously by Aaron El Productor. 
Adams, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Please go into iTunes and Stitcher, Google Play, and rate our show and tell us what you would like to hear next. Don't forget, we have a live event coming up November 12th in Manhattan. Go to etccustomevents.com to get tickets to see Jim and I speak about the history of unbuilt Disney attractions. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. Take care.